1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Backers, together and loving
2: it. TNCs apply.
0: Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode is one of the stars of the Australian track and field team that is busily preparing for the upcoming rescheduled and hopefully going ahead Tokyo Olympics in 2021. Uh, She was raised in Canberra and showed great promise uh, as a junior. Uh, Her running, though, was uh, somewhat derailed during her teens uh, as uh, a darkness set upon her, Uh, and we'll speak about that uh, during the course of the next hour, the battle she went through uh, in terms of her mental health, anxiety, depression uh, and an eating disorder. But I'm pleased to say that uh, her life and her career uh, got very much back on track. A change of cities, uh, a change of coach uh, to the legendary Peter Fortune, yes, uh, the man who coached uh, Cathy Freeman to Olympic glory, In Sydney in 2000 and since then really a rapid rise to prominence that was capped off when she broke a national record that had stood for 43 years in one of the most gruelling events that you can possibly set your mind to the 800 metres so it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Katrina Bissett. Hello Katrina.
2: Hey, how are you going? Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, it's, it's an absolute pleasure and thank you so much for your time. Um, let's start with what you're doing right now. We're in lockdown here in Perth, uh, have been this week, uh, which has been very sudden. Um, but you're in Melbourne, I know, uh, preparing for Tokyo and that's your your home and your base. Um, how is it trying to prepare for the biggest uh, event of your life, the Tokyo Olympics, um, having to juggle this lockdown experience I know you're out of it currently and fingers crossed that'll continue but how's it been
2: yeah I mean it's definitely been a challenge um it's something no one really expected but um I think as athletes We really have to be adaptable and, um, whether that's injury or a global pandemic, (laughs) um, yeah, we have to adjust, um, our programs and, and, and that's what we are trained to do anyway. So, um, yeah, certainly, certainly been an interesting year and, and definitely very disappointing that I wasn't able to go in and race in Europe and America, which I would have liked to do last year and this year, um, But um, no, there's been some silver linings as well. I've been really been able to focus on my training and having those long, unbroken months of training is actually really beneficial.
1: Yeah. So during lockdown and all the restrictions on movements and, and people being able to go to work, you know, if running is essentially your job, have you been able to pretty much get out there and do that without any hindrance or restriction?
2: Um, I'd say maybe ninety percent of the way. I mean I'm very like, yeah, runners are very lucky that we don't need to be indoors. We we can do pretty much everything we need to do um out in the out yeah, in the outdoors. Um so I, I really feel for swimmers and, you know, um Badmington players and all these people who need very special equipment. But um yeah, us runners have been, yeah, very lucky in that sense. We've been able to do most things. But I think the biggest um Downside was not being able to train with my group and not being able to see my coach. Um, like it was quite. Even though it's an individual sport, we do run as a team, and mm. um, I'm very much happy to be back with my big squad of girls and and back with 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 um, Fort. We call him Peter Fortune. Yeah. Um, um, having him around is yeah. It's completely different. It's yeah. Even though you can get the work done by yourself, it's it's not the same.
1: How do you deal with all of the? Talk about the Tokyo Olympics, and you know, recent reports suggesting that they might be again cancelled. Um, mm. Obviously, you're just focused on an event that you assume is going ahead. But are you able to block all that out? Does it affect you?
2: I probably say that's the hardest part of um, all, the, all um, the, about this COVID situation is is all the speculation and um, this this noise in the background of. You know, is this thing that we've been working t- towards for four years—is this going to go ahead or not? Um, so it's it's certainly uh, stressful having these rumors around, and um, but yeah, I mean, none all you know, sports people have to deal with this sort of thing all the time. Yeah. Um but um, no, it, it it has been challenging. Yeah,
1: the idea of going over there and and there potentially being no crowds—obviously a lot of people. Uh, watching from their their lounge rooms all around the world, um, but the idea of it not being there, you know, with the buzz of a packed stadium, um, is that a factor at all? Because I'm I'm sure when you grew up, and I know you've been running since you were a, a little girl, um, the idea of going to an Olympics, I suppose, being a part of just a, a huge event and the buzz of the people there and the energy and the village and all of those sorts of things, mm. um, is, is that is you know is that a shame for you as you Count down to the Olympics that will hopefully go ahead in a few months time does it take away from oh, absolutely. it at all
2: yeah absolutely I mean just that feeling when you walk into a packed stadium and the sound and the atmosphere like that's why we that's why we do this you know that's mm. that's what that's like you know that's our intoxicating drug you know when what we do it for so it's 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 hard to think of a of a major champs without a crowd. But um, we we joke around in uh, with the Australian runners that we have such a small crowd in the domestic season here. <laughs> so uh, we're probably pretty good at running with with a small crowd. Um, but no, I'm, I'm yeah, that it'll it'll be very different for sure.
1: Yeah, because oh, I know you have performed um, and run in front of some big crowds. I mean, the the occasion when you. Uh, beat that long-standing Australian record, the the London uh, event that you ran that in. Big crowds there. What's it like running in in big crowds compared to here in Australia?
2: Well, that one was really special because it was in the Olympic Stadium as well. Mm. Um, And, um, no, yeah, it was was definitely different and and having the media and the photographers and um, it was, yeah, it's very, very different. um, But um, I think that's just a matter of scale, yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's go back to your early days, Katrina. Uh, I know you started running when you were quite young. I think under sevens, you um, mm-hmm. you first rolled up at your local little athletics club in Canberra. What was life like for you as a youngster growing up in Canberra um, and, and why athletics? What, uh, what got you to the track?
2: Yeah, so I started um, running with little A's. I think that's the origin story of a lot of um, yeah. our track athletes um and um yeah, I was a really active kid, did a lot of sports. Um so swimming and running were probably my main ones. And uh did a bit of netball and touch footy and that sort of stuff with school. Um, but yeah, I was a very, very active kid. And, and I, I really got into the running, um, the little A's quite early and found out that I was quite good at it. So I think that that um, uh, also contributed to my enjoyment of, of, <laughs> of athletics, getting all those little medals at uh, mm. you know the state champs and the regional champs and that sort of thing.
1: The eight hundred metres, meters—it's the event that you've settled on now, but was that always your your pet event going back to those junior junior days?
2: No, I was a I was a sprinter, so I did the ones and twos and then I moved up a little bit to the fours. But I, I also really enjoyed the throwing events as well. Like yeah. my um my mum used to do shot put in when she was in high school, so she taught me, you know, the proper technique of, of throwing the shot put. So I was um yeah. <laughs> could do the one and two but also the shop would as well. <laughs> Enjoy the multi event.
1: Just just on your your, your mum and dad. Your mum is Chinese, uh, your mm. dad uh, born here in Australia. How did they meet if you don't mind me asking?
2: Oh, they have a very um sort of nerdy meet cute kind of thing. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they they both did um PhDs in mechanical engineering at Newcastle Uni. Right. Um so they they met they met doing that. Yeah. Okay and, and we and moved to Canberra soon after that, yeah,
1: f- for their jobs.
2: Um, yeah, I think so. and and my 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 grandma used to um, went when she yeah, my grandma used to live in Canberra, yeah. um, so I, we moved there to be closer to to other family in Australia.
1: It, it can be a bit of a bubble, uh, can't it? Uh, <laughs> Canberra, if you haven't if, for those who haven't been there, I think often their first experience is that it's it's almost like this sort of Truman show type um, place. you live in this insulated little bubble. There, I suppose, when oh, you're okay. growing up in it, you don't know any different, do you? But uh, you're right. now that you've been and, and spent time in Sydney and and now Melbourne. Um, your reflections on Canberra. What 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 are your memories of of life as a little kid growing up in Canberra?
2: Mm. No, I think Canberra is is a really beautiful city. Like you know, bush capital, um, and especially having moved away and now um, seeing it from the outside, I really think it is exceptionally um, interesting as well architecturally like I'm, I'm studying architecture mm. at the moment and and you know Walter Burley Griffin having this you know uh, grand plan for a city um, and having it so you know this eclectic mix of different kinds of buildings as well I, I think it and, and then, yeah, that all sort of scattered in this really beautiful uh, um, bush setting. Um, yeah, I, I, I am appreciated a lot more now than I, yeah. than I think I did when I was growing up. Like, yeah. as you said, I didn't really know any different. Um, but going back there now, I, I can really see how beautiful it is.
1: Yeah. As a youngster then, obviously you're a very active kid. You mentioned not just athletics but the other sports that you're participating in mm-hmm. as well. You've obviously got two very academically-minded <laughs> parents <laughs> as well. How did exactly. you juggle those sort of competing pressures or did you even need to, to juggle it, you know, as a youngster, particularly in, in, in primary school, the academics and the sporting pursuits?
2: No, I was, I've was definitely been very ambitious in all these different areas of my life. Um, yeah, it it definitely was a challenge, um, sort of particularly towards the end of high school, sort of thinking about um uni and getting a good ATAR and that sort of thing and yeah, having two very academic parents uh can be quite <laughs> stressful for a young person. Um, so yeah, it it definitely was quite tricky and, and I think, yeah, it, it was uh it did take a toll on my mental health as well, which I think is where we're sort of heading towards yes. in this conversation. Um, but um but yeah, it was um I, I uh, yeah, had, had a lot of diverse interests and, and was really very um, uh, ambitious in, in, in those pursuits, whether that was good or bad, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I know you've been very uh, open and, and courageous in talking about that, uh, your mm-hmm. mental health struggles. Uh, we'll, we'll just take a quick break, Katrina, and I'll get you to, uh, to, to tell us all about it again right after this. This is Inspiring mm-hmm. Stories. Katrina Bissett is our special guest. Back with more in a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode is our national 800-metre record holder, Katrina Bissett, who joins us from Melbourne for our chat Uh, on this occasion. Uh, Katrina, we've, we've sort of zoomed through your childhood. Uh, We are at that point now where, um, look, and I know you've, you're quite open in talking about this, but uh, your, your life really did uh, get consumed by uh, a pretty dark cloud. Didn't it? I mean, I've, I've seen comments from you where you talk about uh, your eating disorder that you had uh, to go, I suppose, in association with your anxiety and depression At, at times. You've even said that you were, you were suicidal. I mean, this is as as heavy as it gets. What what led you to this place?
2: Um, I don't think it's ever any one thing that that leads to um, having mental health troubles. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, a big part of it was uh, you know my just genetics and and. Um, uh, you know, that I'm more susceptible for this kind of thing. Um, but I think a big, uh, yeah, sort of catalyst was moving away from home and um, starting university. Um, and yeah, being away from my support network and, and my comfort zone. And, and um, yeah, that sort of, uh, yeah, I was very, very ambitious and and um, starting architecture for my first year. And uh, it was a lot of late nights. So it was not really looking after my body, um, as well. And yeah, so that sort of let me down, um, into that, yeah, a, a several hard years of, um, dealing with, with anxiety and depression and, um, yeah. And, and in, in a way it was, it was, uh, good as well for things to be quite intense that I had a, this wake up call and, and, um, uh, was able to, um, ask for help and, and mm. get care when, when, um, when I really needed it. As
1: I understand it, through your sort of middle teens, towards the end of your high school time, you weren't that focused on your athletics. You ran in school competitions, that sort of thing, but it wasn't something that you pursued in a big way outside of school. Is is that right? And do you think there's any link between you stepping away from that focus on athletics and and your slide into mental health struggles?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, and I'll also say during this period. Um, I, I was still able to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do, focusing on my um, my academia and that sort of thing. But yeah, it was just a lot of managing these 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 down periods. Um, yeah, so towards um, the uh, yeah end of end of primary school, sort of early high school, late high school. Oh, sorry, I'm mixing up my timeline. <laughs> um, you were correct in saying sort of late high school. I was. Um, yeah, starting to, uh, really have to manage an eating disorder that, um, that I, that I, um, sort of picked up, um, um, around that period. Um. And
1: can I ask, did you keep that fairly well hidden a secret from, from your family and and those around you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I never really spoke about it until after my first year of uni, um, when I really decided that this was starting to get in, in the way of, of me pursuing what I wanted to what I wanted to mm. do. Um, but yeah, during that sort of late high school, I, I really uh, lost my ambition for athletics, and um, uh, yeah, a big part of that was just feeling that I wasn't mentally strong enough, or that I wasn't I wasn't you know. Uh, skinny enough and, and that sort of stuff to uh, pursue athletics as a sport, which, which in hindsight is mm. um, just a, a real symptom of, of um, the, yeah, the mental health issues that I was going through at that time.
1: And what's been the reaction to you talking so openly about it? Uh, anything that surprised you in how people respond to you talking about it so well?
2: Um, I, I, uh, it, it's been overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm very grateful for, um, the, the amazing feedback that I've, that I've been able to get. And, and it's been amazing just being somebody that people can approach and have this conversation with and not be afraid. Like it's, it's a real privilege to be able to be someone that I wish that I, that I was exposed to, um, around that age in the late teens when I was going through this kind of thing. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things about, um, being very vocal about this sort of stuff is, is that, um, yeah, it reduces that stigma and, and allows people to have these vulnerable conversations and, Mm -hmm. and know that there are, you know, that this experience is, is, um, extremely common. Um, I think. There's, you know, I think it's about forty percent of people will experience having mental health, um, um, mental illness in their lifetime, and and um, but we don't hear a lot of people talking about it, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just makes it so much easier to, to have mm-hmm. these conversations.
1: And, and it sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself in the last uh, ten years or so, and what you, you're still only twenty six, but uh, going back to the fifteen or sixteen year old, Katrina Bisset, do you do you? Do you relate to that person now? I mean, that sounds like a silly thing to say, but um, you seem like a, quite a different person to what I imagine you were back then. What would mm. you say to a, a teenage Katrina Bissett now?
2: Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like I am um, have grown a lot since then. Yeah. Um, I think if I were to meet my younger self... Um, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've I've thought about this question quite a lot. It's come up a few times, you know, talking about uh, talking to uh, younger athletes and that sort of thing. And and I think what I would really encourage is is for me to talk to you know talk to my friends and and um, because. Uh, yeah, as an adult, I've I've talked to many of my friends from that period, and and we've sort of discovered that we had a lot of very similar experiences, and um, it was a real shame that we were that we d- weren't able to share that with each other. Um, and I think another thing was just to cultivate a, a real sense of. Um, uh, you know anger i think at um at the pressures that I was under and mm. and the culture of of athletics and and i guess in general of of women <laughs> needing to be mm. smaller or. Um, and not even just in their, in their bodies, but in, in their voice and, um, and the way they, they express themselves. I think um, I was, yeah, I think if I was um, speaking to my younger self, I would um, try and inspire a, um, a healthy healthy sense of anger.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it just, it's, it's an absolute contradiction, isn't it, while you're trying to pursue a, um, a demanding sport, uh, that requires, I imagine, a great amount of fuel to go into your body. At the same time, you're doing your best to restrict <laughs> mm. um, your food intake. They just don't go together, do they?
2: Yeah, so it's it's a real damaging myth: the the need to to be you know skinny and and that win win at all costs mentality. Um, because yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's, um, if you do it in the incorrect way, um, it's completely, uh, incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to, um, be well fueled and, um, to, to be able to push your body. And, um, it's unfortunate that a lot of athletes, uh, discover that a little bit too late. And then mm. there's, um, I think particularly the coaches and, and, uh, the leaders in the sport as well, um, can do a lot more about, um, educating young athletes. Mm.
1: Uh, importantly to you, you moved from Canberra to Sydney, as you mentioned, to pursue your university studies. Um, was that just too much of a, a shock to your system, too much of a culture shock going from that, you know, fairly insulated environment in, in Canberra into the, the big smoke, as it were, in, in Sydney? Was it too much of a change to your system?
2: Um, I'd, I it, Perhaps it was the, you know, the, the last straw kind of thing, um, or maybe like a catalyst for I, you know, I was dealing with all of these things so privately and, um, and finally I, you know, (laughs) had just too much stress and, um, really had to, yeah, I think things just sort of boiled over. Um, it, I I don't think it was, um, moving in itself that, that caused any problems. It was Mm -hmm. more, um, I really was just had a lot of things unresolved that, um, um, i I realized we're starting to actually get in the way of, yeah. of, of me you know growing up and, and mm. going into my adulthood
1: all right well, how did you start to resolve those to put it so bluntly? Where did you start and what did you do?
2: yeah well I, I started seeing a psychologist <laughs> which I think um i yeah it was um was probably the biggest change and the most positive change and um, and often it's just making that first move and and finally talking to somebody that you know, that in itself is, um, one of the biggest, uh, ways to start healing. Um, and yeah, starting that sort of long-term relationship with, um, with my psychologist and, um, yeah, just learning about myself and, and, and learning these management skills. And, um, I think, yeah, confronting a lot of these things that I was, that I was suppressing and, and, um, yeah, having to, having to think about them head on and, and think about what my what my goals were for the future and what what needed to change for mm. me to to be able to pursue them.
1: In, and in terms of um, you know your your general lifestyle, I know you've been uh, also a um, a supporter of of more holistic measures to improve your life as well. Apart from seeing a psychologist, did you do anything else that that now you look back and say that was really helpful to me?
2: Well. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the whole the whole reason i suddenly uh turned into a professional athlete was that i discovered running again mm. um in my uh, i think i was twenty one twenty two i um had finished my my bachelor degree and had um entered the workforce started working full time in architecture and um and realized that and, and and during this period i was still running um but just at a recreational level just sort of a couple times a week or uh, yeah, just doing it with friends, that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: And just going for a jog essentially, were you? Yeah, that, yeah. exactly. Or yeah.
2: doing like, I remember doing like a boot camp at six in the morning with one of my friends who was- One of a, those people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I did it very many times. I think I probably did it about three times. <laughs> um, that was enough. <laughs> It'd be three too yeah. many for me. <laughs> so it was just a handful of, you know, a mixed bag of that kind of stuff. No real organising, not organisation around it. Um, but um, I started running with Sydney Uni Athletics Club and, um, yeah, I, I, I realised that I really missed um, competing and I and I missed running well and, and you know, that sort of, I, and, you know, it's so amazing being able to improve every year and qualify for, you know, like the state championships and, and make a final and that sort of thing. And um, I realised that if I wanted to do that properly... Yeah. Um, I I needed to really apply myself and, and I, and I knew how to do it because I had done it as a, as a kid. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I found that just extremely beneficial for my mental health as well. Just not only, you know, um, all that research into, you know, endorphins and the, all the chemical benefits of, of exercise, I think it's underplayed the community benefits of, um, of being part of a running team and, and, um, being part of this uh, this really great community and um, yeah I, I remember my running squad in in Sydney just had such a diverse range of athletes as well. You had students, but you also had sort of masters athletes. Um, so you'd had all these sort of different intergenerational friendships going on. And um, no, it was I, I think that was huge for me absolutely. Mm. Um, and and in particular as well the routine that comes from it having these set training times that. Um, you would rock up and everyone would be there waiting for you kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, and, and that was, yeah, the routine yeah. community and then just the basic uh, <laughs> good things that come yeah. from moving your body were all really beneficial.
1: And, yeah, on on one level at least, it almost seems counterintuitive that you would want to put yourself back into a high-stress, high-pressure, elite-level sporting environment when – um, the pressure was one of the factors that um, that led you towards that dark place in your teens. Did that ever cross your mind or, or worry you that you might be putting yourself back in an environment that could be potentially damaging to your mental health?
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, uh, well, in the early days, it wasn't this sort of elite, high pressure environment. Mm. Absolutely, it was it was all the good things um, that that I that I loved about running when I was little. Um, and, um, it was only later when I discovered that I'm actually quite good at this, (laughs) um, that these, that, um, that I was exposed to that environment again. But I mean, I'm, I, I, I talk about, you know, I talk about these dark periods of my life, but I also... Feel that they're extremely in, in, invaluable to to who I am as an athlete now. Like if if I didn't go through those times, I wouldn't have learnt um, learnt so much about myself and learnt these amazing management skills and built such an amazing support team around me. So um, yeah, like we said before, I'm very different to to my younger self. And entering uh, elite sport again, I've, I was equipped and ready. And um, yep. and um, yeah, completely completely. Um, you know, at peace with a lot of different things. And, and it just meant that I, I was able to, to um, become an elite athlete, I feel. Yeah.
1: yeah. Katrina, we need to take a break. But after that, uh, we'll move on to your, uh, I think we can say, a meteoric rise uh, to the top <laughs> in your event in Australia. Because uh, although it's been a, a long road to get to where you are now, the last couple of years particularly, haven't they, uh, have been enormous in terms of your progress and mm. your Uh, now now current standing as the national uh, record holder in the 800 metres. So we'll get into that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Katrina Bissett is our special guest. Back with more soon.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell, and this one is brought to you by Bauer and O'Day, the inspiring story of Katrina Bissett, who has risen to become our national 800-metre women's record holder uh, after some pretty tough and turbulent years, and she is now gunning for the 2021 uh, Tokyo Olympics. Fingers, toes and everything else crossed that it all goes ahead now as scheduled and as planned. I mentioned that her rise has been a meteoric one, and really that uh, was set in stone uh, in London in 2019. Uh, this is a little bit of audio uh, of when she ran that uh, now famous national record race.
0: We understand that Tabisset breaks Charlene Rendina's Australian record, and that's been around for a long, long
1: time. Being a middle-distant runner, it's it's something you have to endure so much pain if i might say in training and i think it just gives you so much strength we also heard in there uh, another voice in there was uh, charlene rendina uh, she is the australian who held that 800 meter record for 43 years making it one of the longest standing records uh, in national athletics that is until our guest katrina Bisits broke it uh, katrina talk us through that race in uh, 2019 in london um, did you feel like you had that time uh, in your legs on that day? I mean, a sub two minute uh, uh, run in the 800 meters uh, is is a rarity in Australian athletics, but you were well and truly under that. Well, I think 158.73 you clocked in at mm, that's um, right. in that in that race. An extraordinary run. Did you feel like you were in that sort of form on the day?
2: Um hi I think um hindsight's a interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> um I I think on the day I was um extremely nervous. If that because that London Diamond League was my first ever diamond league and um it was my that was my first season um running internationally. Um so I was, I think I was very nervous and and not really thinking about a lot of things before the race but um yeah, I was um, had a a string of, of very good very good races pretty much since uh, I think it was March. I had a um, unbeaten win streak. Um, I think it was ended up being around a dozen races. Um, so I uh, I knew that um, I was I was in very good shape, and if uh, if things all went to plan, um, mm-hmm. that that record would, would would be within reach. But um, I um, I think I, I approached... Pretty much every race thinking that I can run and run the Australian record or run a, a personal best yeah um, so we weren't um, particularly targeting that race but um, it just happened to uh, be very well paced and um, I was I had a, a few very good races leading into it yeah um, so it all it all worked out.
1: the previous record holder Charlene that we heard a little from then as well <laughs> what's it like meeting the lady? Um, who you've just taken off the, the, that mantle. <laughs> Is it an awkward meeting when you meet this person
0: no, and you have no. to sort
1: of all right, officially sort of hand over the, the imaginary baton there to you, know, to, to <laughs> you now becoming the, the fastest 800-metre runner in the country?
2: Oh, well, Charlene is such an amazing lady. Like she's, she's, yeah, she's, she's such a badass woman. Like when I, (laughs) when I saw, when I met her, she, um, she's still running now. Like she's still, um, she looks, she looks amazing. Yeah. Like, and, and, um, yeah, just rambunctious, lovely. Um, so it was fantastic meeting Mm. her and, um, and you could see, you know, why she was such a successful athlete, because she's um, just got such an amazing um, personality. And um, she was even wearing a, a moon boot because she had injured herself in um, <laughs> <laughs> training, uh, training uh, uh, recently. Um, no, it, it was really an honor to meet her, and um, having, I think, yeah, I think it was the longest-standing record uh, um, at that time. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it's amazing. Like that is such an incredible achievement and, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how long my record will last, but, um, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing.
1: Well, 43 years would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully I can beat it a, can it a few more times. Hopefully yeah. you <laughs> I can break it a few more times before you hang up the shoes. That's right. I, I've got to ask the 800 meters as an event. Uh, I mean, people talk about the 400 as being... Really, really tough because it is essentially a sprint. But the 800 is is almost a sprint as well, isn't it? And, and I know, mm. you know, in terms of you can argue in, until the end of time about which is the toughest, but it is widely regarded as one of the most, if not the most, gruelling running events you can possibly set your mind to. In fact, even the great Michael Johnson was asked this question about the toughest <laughs> event. And he says that you know he's he's obviously biased towards the 400, and would like to agree with those who suggest that it is the toughest. But uh, when you run the 800 meters uh, for time, it's it's even tactically harder than the 400. I mean, it seems to suit your character, given what we know about you, Katrina, <laughs> that you would set your mind to the toughest event. But mm. but really, it it is a really crazy event, isn't it? The 800.
2: Yeah, I. I it's. Um I like to call it a long sprint. Yeah, <laughs> I like to think of myself as a long sprinter rather than a middle distance runner. Um, but um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting uh, intersection of, of that of that sprint event. So um, I, I usually think of sprint events as um, you you usually uh, have to you, you go out hard and 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 your body will uh, slow down and. Um, whereas uh, the the distance events you uh, usually speed up because you can um, push it a bit harder at the end, but... But when you have that lactic acid of, of um, the sprint events, uh, a lot of it is just fighting your own body. Um, so it's a combination of that plus the tactics of a non-laned uh, event. So, um, yeah, we break out of lanes after the first 100 metres and there's all the pushing and shoving and um, I think they call it argy-bargy in yeah. Australia. I think that's the Australian <laughs> word for it. It's a lot of great Australianisms. Um, um, a lot of, yeah, a few elbows and... Um, and yeah, and, and um, you can you can really uh, stuff yourself in the in the first lap, and yeah, um, and and then things can change uh, dramatically in the last hundred meters mm. as well. So it it is a a very um a very interesting event in that way, and yeah, extremely difficult.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and as you mentioned, when you crunch down into one lane compared to say a 400, then tactics really do become more complicated, don't they? Because you know mm. so, someone's out the front, you know, essentially sort of breaking a headwind for those behind them. They're kind of taking one for the, for the rest of the pack, aren't they? Um, mm. What's it like when, you, when you're in that, that crush of, of runners, you know, where one tiny clipping of a, of a shoe can send you head over heels and out of the race and even, you know, onto the sidelines with injury? When, you, when you're in that, that tight pack... You just all focus on that one prize of getting to the line first. What Can you, can you sort of take us inside there and paint a picture for us? What's it like in there?
2: Mm, it's, um, it's, it is, it is very intimate. Like I think, um,
1: I mean, is, are you, do you gesture to each other? Do you, are you, does anyone ever say anything or, you know, get out of my way or does that ever happen?
2: <laughs> no, you, you're definitely going a bit too quick to, um, you probably couldn't put a, a yeah. few words together. Um, but um yeah it, it, a lot of it is is just very intuitive like it is it is you know often a race that's less than 2 minutes long um, there, there you ha- there, there aren't many um thoughts that can really you, that you can put together in, in such a short period of time um, but um no, no a lot of it is um you know you you, you train this sort of muscle memory um, and so when you get into a race a lot of the time um the best best tactic is to um have an empty mind and and let your body sort of react to the people around you. Um a lot of it is just that sort of instinctual reaction of if you're in that pack and perhaps you're you're leading or um uh you're in the second or third position and and someone makes a move, um you have to you can't be able to think. You just have to move um at Mm -hmm. the same time and, and move in that pack and yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely different to the sprint events where you're in lanes and and you have, a, you know, you have people in your periphery, but you don't, um, mm. you're not you're not you know up against them <laughs> and touching them and that sort of thing and rubbing elbows. Are you um, an elbows
1: in or elbows out runner, Katrina? Well, do you? Do you... <laughs> Turn them sideways to um, fend off people ever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm blessed with very broad shoulders, so um, I uh, I take up a lot of space in the lane. uh, So I think I'm I'm quite lucky in that I don't I don't have to uh, uh, sort of shove my way through. I I, um, uh, take up a lot of space, which is quite good. Good way to be. (laughs) They got to shove me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Hey, after the break, Katrina, I want to ask you about uh, your move to Melbourne and the the difference that it made in you uh, changing coaches uh, to the great uh, Peter Fortune uh, and how that really started you on such a, a, a rapid rise through the ranks. But we do need to take a break. We'll get to that right after this. This is Inspiring Stories. Katrina Bissett is our special guest. Back with more soon.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
1: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is 800-metre champion Katrina Bissett. Uh, Katrina, in early 2017, you moved from Sydney to Melbourne and you changed coaches as well. Now, I suppose athletics coaches are not terribly well-known outside of that smallish athletics community in Australia. But Peter Fortune is probably one that is fairly well known, uh, particularly recently with that uh, amazing Kathy uh, Freeman documentary uh, that aired uh, late last year. The man who's credited as being, uh, I suppose, her guide, uh, helping her towards Olympic glory in the 400 metres at the Sydney uh, 2000 Games. Uh, has he had uh, a similar sort of effect on you in that he's, he's really helped you to harness your your full potential and get to where you want to be like he did Mm. with, with Kathy Freeman.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I think the, um, his, his talent is really bringing out, um, you know, your, your, your unique personality kind of thing. I Mm. think, um, you would think, you know, after what you've said about his amazing accomplishments, he's the most humble person you'll ever meet. He comes across as um, like the sweet grandpa of athletics. Yeah. And, um, And I think, and he's, you know, stated specifically that he thinks that his role is to make himself redundant. Like he thinks that <laughs> it's all about giving the athlete the skills and empowering the athlete. And I think that's what's made him you know, so much better, well, just so successful. I think a lot of coaches sort of fall into the, uh, you know, hype somebody up and, um, talk about how great they are and, and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas he's much more about, you know, nurturing this, you know, a whole person, you know, that if you're happy and running well, uh, that means you'll be racing well. Um, and, um, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's genius. (laughs) Yeah.
1: We are rapidly running out of time, Katrina, and I know uh, we are counting down to, uh, to the Tokyo Games. Um, but I understand uh, you're not just content with your 800-metre record. You're actually about to uh, uh, embark on, on trying to set an, another Australian record between now and, and Tokyo. Tell us about the 1,000-metre event that you've got on the cards.
2: Yeah, so this was a um a lockdown idea that um <laughs> that um yeah, because there wasn't any racing going on and like as as we all are well aware the the covid um situation has been um created a real mental health crisis in Australia and um, I'm a community custodian for Lifeline and um, Lifeline is a, yeah an amazing service, free, yep. free helpline for people to call um, uh, uh, if they're having um, trouble or, or suicidal thoughts. Um, and it's a service that I've used myself as well. So I'm very passionate about the cause. And so I um, came up with this idea of attempting to... Um, I uh, uh, yeah beat the 1000 meter Australian record um, which is a very uh, uh, rarely contested event and um, mm. and hopefully raise um, some awareness and raise some money for Lifeline and yeah if, if people want to donate um, wanna, I've got a link on my Instagram page so if you look up Katrina Bissett, um on Instagram um, or just Google Katrina Bissett Lifeline 1000 meters um, it'll it'll come up but, um, so that'll be happening on March 2nd um, so I've got about another month to prepare um, but um, yeah I think I, I really wanted to do something during lockdown and um, and, and uh, yeah raise awareness and, and you know show how um, you know the running community can get together and really make a difference
1: what a fantastic uh, event to turn your mind to particularly as you say with a lack of events to prepare you for Tokyo although having just talked about how grueling the 800 meters is I um, think you're absolutely mad to add another 200 (laughs) metres to that Uh, but look (laughs) hey whatever works for you between now and uh, the games Katrina thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story with us and uh, all the very best for your preparations uh, between now and the middle of the year and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, out on the track hopefully uh, in Tokyo in what July of this year so thanks again for your time and good luck with everything we'll be cheering you on Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.